0: there! Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. My brilliant web maven, Stephanie, got me all set up with my new newsletter program, which works through my website, so I don't have to do it manually. That means it's much easier for you to receive my newsletter, too. Just go to KristaWallace.com and click the three lines in the top right hand corner. You'll see a list of options, one of which is subscribe. Easy peasy. Now, here's a story that seems appropriate for the story we're reading right now. This happened years ago. Um, my co worker had just come home from a trip to New York with her mom. And she told me about going to a club and hearing some mind-blowing music. She she described it like this. We went to this club, and there was this old guy playing guitar, and he was really good, and the music was amazing. And he was, like, really old, but he was still super good, like his fingers were flying. His name was Les Paul, and we stayed the whole evening, and it was so good. I stopped her and said, what now? You actually saw Les Paul? She had no idea what she had just experienced. I explained to her that Les Paul invented the electric guitar, as well as things like overdubbing and delay effects and multi track recording. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, kind of an important figure you just saw without realizing it. So, And damn right, he was old. He died in 2009 at the age of 94. So I'm pretty sure she saw him perform pretty close to the end. Anyway, she had a new appreciation for the fella she had seen after that conversation. (laughs) You may recall, last week, Griffin's day began with haiku. And ended with a long overdue hangout with Calvin, where his bad news preempted her telling him about the Spurious Correlations. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace. Chapter 10. May 12th. Dragging my tired arse out of bed on Saturday morning was tough. It had been a late night after an exhausting week. Having said that, I felt refreshed after a long overdue get-together with Calvin, despite his bad news. It was great to play with him again, and it was great to just hang out and be friends. Hanging out with Calvin never felt like work. We knew each other so well that I never had to guess what he was thinking, or watch what I said lest I hurt his feelings. I was surprised to realize it had been less than a week since our stellar event. It seemed like way longer... Playing great tunes with a friend is what it must be like when people go for a run or a long swim. I don't do those things, but I imagine it's the same mental break, the change of focus to something other than the everyday, that they bring the same kind of clarity. Last night had unfortunately brought with it a whole new set of emotions to work through. I was deeply saddened by Calvin's dad's condition. I'd always been close to him, and had fond memories of going to Calvin's and getting told off, pretending, of course, for not wearing a dress, (laughs) or for not leaving my shoes neatly enough, or ringing the doorbell instead of coming right in. The day he told me I was now old enough, at age fourteen, to call him Rob instead of Mr. Sheely was the best coming-of-age ceremony a girl could ask for. I had a bad habit of clumsily knocking stuff over and breaking things at their place, too, and Calvin's folks were always so sweet about it. Their relationship was so different from what I could perceive of my own parents. This must be hell for Calvin's mom. It gave me pause. I resolved to tackle the upcoming day and the week with a new attitude. You have to live life to the fullest and appreciate what you have, right? I started my new outlook by phoning and booking a return flight harbour-to-harbour for the following Saturday at 12.30. It would be a bit of a push after my last lesson ended at 11.30, but if I was organised, I could do it. I just wouldn't be as early for the flight as I'd prefer. I would be nice and early for the 3.30 wedding, which was more important. The next flight wasn't until 2.30, which would put the stress at the other end of things, so all in all, this was better. In any event, the idea of the little flight was exciting, a new experience that fit right in with my new philosophy. I got myself ready for work, brushed my teeth, and grabbed my hairbrush out of the drawer. Only it wasn't my hairbrush. I nearly stabbed myself in the head with the knife. I jumped a mile and dropped it on the floor like it was fiery hot. How the hell did it keep appearing, ignoring all the laws of all the sciences? What was it trying to tell me? Did it have a problem with my new philosophy? It showed up in my hands during moments of high anxiety. Was it telling me to avoid those moments? Pressing my hands on the counter, I glared at myself in the mirror. What are you doing, you fool? Is this what you really want? Was it worth all the complication I was putting on myself? Then I thought again of Calvin and his dad, which instantly put things back into perspective. These were all opportunities to make music, to share my knowledge through teaching, to learn. "'even the dessert-making, but especially to play music. "'Isn't this what I'd always wanted?' "'I nodded to my mirror self. "'I've been given opportunities, and I appreciate them. "'I left, forgetting to brush my hair.' Before locking the door, though, I made sure the damn knife was on the bottom shelf of a bookcase underneath a massive, illustrated, and annotated, and therefore thick, volume of the complete works of Shakespeare. The book weighed about 700 pounds, so there was no way the knife could accidentally fall off the shelf and find its way into my backpack or my pocket or my shoe. I maintained my new philosophy all the way to the music store. The best part of this day would be meeting Gillian for lunch, so no matter what occurred during the four lessons I had to teach, I vowed to appreciate what I had and look forward to the reward of lunch with my sister. I should never even think stuff like that. I arrived at the music store by eight thirty, so I had plenty of time to mentally prepare. As I opened the entrance door, though, I knew something was wrong. It was quiet, too quiet. I walked through the door at my regular speed and nearly tripped over a prostrate form. It was on a mat. It was inhaling to a count of eight, which was the only reason I knew it wasn't dead. What the hell? I searched for Brian in the aisles of the store. "'The form in front of me was duplicated so many times throughout the store "'I couldn't count them in a single or even multiple glances. "'They were dressed in stretchy outfits with multicoloured tops. "'The one in the doorway put its hands by its shoulders "'and pushed its torso up into an impressive cobra. "'So did all the others. "'At last I clued in to what was going on. "'There was some kind of yoga gathering in my place of employment.' "'Brian emerged from the back hall.' "'Oh, hey, Griffin,' he called in a murmur as the forms pushed up and into downward dogs. As I stood there gaping, they went into lunges, then forward bends, which swooped up into majestic tall mountains, all accompanied by well-timed deep inhalations and exhalations. "'What the devil is this?' I stepped between back bends toward the front desk. "'Looks to me like about thirty sun salutations.' The leader of the group was progressing through her poses on a mat that covered a sheet of plywood, which lay precariously on top of the bins of music I had tried to organize just the other day. A tinge of worry crept into my face, but I decided if she wasn't concerned, then why should I be? How about some tunage, she called. Brian obliged. Instead of what I would have considered normal, relaxing yoga music with soft strains of flute or saxophone over quiet, ambient chords, he chose Aqualung. The instructor didn't object. I shrugged. What else could I do? Brian didn't think any of this was odd. In fact, it occurred to me that maybe they were renting the space from him. Was the business not doing as well as it appeared? It always seemed busy, but what did I know? I owed Brian a lot. I resolved to redouble my effort to not let him down. I appreciate all I have. Are we still open for customers?' I searched for any place patrons could safely step as they browsed the store. All I saw were hands and feet that could be trod on. But it wasn't my problem, ultimately. I was there to teach today, and that was it. I meandered through to my little practice room and got set up for my first lesson of the day. I altered the tuning on my guitar and started experimenting with A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. I had an out-there idea that if I could get it sounding good enough, I would play it for Matteo just to see what his reaction might be. I'd be lying if I didn't admit that my ultimate desired reaction would be for him to propose marriage, or something along those lines. I'd thought about learning help me, but thought it was too obvious, and that might turn him right off. Melissa, a solid-looking girl of 14, clattered and banged through the door, which explained the dents and scrapes on her guitar case. She let it thunk on the floor near her chair. Hi, I said. I hope Brian told you I'll be filling in for Colin for a bit. I twisted the pegs on my guitar to get it back to standard tuning. Joni had polio as a kid, and it affected her fingers, so she created her own tunings. While Melissa crouched on the floor and clicked the clasps on her guitar case. She didn't respond. I changed focus from my tuning pegs to her face. She had that ashen, greenish pallor that meant just one thing. You not feeling well this morning? She shook her head and closed her eyes with regret at the movement. Uh-uh. Having felt that way myself, haven't we all? I said, hey, you don't need to be here if you're not up to it. Her voice sounded hoarse, ragged. Mum says I have to because she paid for it. She pulled out her guitar and, head hanging, pushed herself up to sit on the chair. We do make exceptions for illness, I said gently. This is no good. She said it's my own fault because I drank a liter of bourbon last night. Stunned, I said, oh, oh, she said, and vomited all over the floor. There is something about the smell of someone else's vomit that inspires one to add one's own vomit to the mix. Motivated to avoid turning this concept into reality, I set my guitar on the stand and dashed from the room ostensibly to get paper towels or something, but I leaned against the wall in the hallway gasping for air. The acoustic guitar section of Aqualung still played in the front of the store. Did Brian have the song on a loop? How irritating. I went to find him since my music teaching skills did not extend to cleaning up hazardous materials. The yoga people were rolling up their mats and pulling on sweaters and saying namaste to each other. I found Brian dealing with a customer who had brought in a flute that needed the pads replaced. Brian was standing on his head and the customer had leaned over to talk to him. What the hell was going on around here? Um, I said. Then, rather than disturb him, I looked up Melissa's file and found her mother's cell number. She was annoyed as hell. It's her own fault. What she did was inexcusable. She made her bed. Now she can lie in it. Before she could come up with any more clichés, I explained how Melissa's being sick to her stomach may very well be her own fault, but unfortunately it wasn't the best use of her time, nor mine, and could Mom please come pick up her daughter right away? Couldn't you just make her keep playing? Melissa's Mom asked. Frustrated by this lack of compassion from the woman, both for her daughter and for me, I said, Well, the trouble is that the room we practice in is now filled with puke, and by the time we either clean it or even move to a different room, Melissa's lesson time will be over, and I have to teach someone else at 9.30. This is the lousiest customer service I have ever encountered. I'm going to consider taking Melissa somewhere else for lessons. Really? I counted to ten. That is your prerogative, certainly. Meanwhile, your daughter is producing toxic waste in my practice room, so would you be so kind as to come round to take her away? I was starting to sound like Rickenbacker. I hung up. Brian, now the right way up, asked what was going on. Melissa just purged a liter of bourbon into my practice room. Again? What? You mean she's done this before? "'Oh, you know how kids are,' he said, as if talking about the way four-year-olds like to sometimes bring stuffed animals to listen to their lessons. "'Not really,' I mumbled, not having discovered my love of gin and tonic until I was twenty-four, and even now rarely drank more than what it took to elicit a teeny buzz. "'Brian told me where to fetch a wet-dry shop vacuum. "'I don't think this is part of my job description.' Even with my raise, I wasn't getting paid enough to clean up teenager puke. Melissa took off without offering an apology, which added to my exasperation. I scrubbed the carpet and sprayed stuff down to remove the smell, all the while repeating my mantra for the day. I appreciate all I have. I was a few minutes late for the 9.30 lesson, which ticked me off because Brian, or one of the other shop employees, could have helped me. Oh, well. After scrubbing my hands with ridiculous thoroughness, I finally joined Marcus in a different, vomitless practice room. Marcus, eleven, was here at his very first lesson. So, Marcus, do you know any chords? He sat with his arms crossed, pouting. He shook his head. Okay, I said. We'll start with a couple of easy ones. I'll teach you three chords today, and you'll be able to play quite a few songs with those. How does that sound? He sat there, his face stormy, and did not pick up his guitar. What's up, Marcus? Wanna play Stairway to Heaven? I nodded slowly. Okay, that's a great goal. Have you practiced it? He shook his head. I swallowed my desire to kick him. See, the thing is, most people don't just pick up a guitar and play one of the most iconic songs of all time without ever having learned a single chord. I might have let a little bit of sarcasm creep in there. He kicked his feet the way a three-year-old might. I appreciate all I have. I adjusted the tuning on my guitar, a process I hadn't completed at the point when Melissa shared her purge with me. Then I just talked through the A chord. I'd eventually get to the numbers of the strings and their names, but I find it's easier to keep students engaged if they come away able to actually play a song. See? I put these three fingers on these strings here. One two, three, in this fret. You have to press down hard or it sounds like this. I demonstrated the dull, clunky sound that occurs when the strings can't resonate. Marcus sat there and did nothing but sulk as I went through and showed him D and E seventh. For the entire half hour, he did bugger all. Didn't matter to me, I was getting paid anyway. A crummy attitude, I suppose, but what would anyone else have done? I was teaching him. I couldn't help it if he refused to learn. You can lead a horse to water and all that, speaking of cliches. Keeping up a friendly demeanor was the hardest part. I was more than ready for a half-hour break before my 10.30 student. Marcus skipped out to the front of the store as cheerful as if I'd fed him cake. Guess what, he said to his dad, I can play Stairway to Heaven. I chuckled all nice and friendly as I followed him. (laughs) Well, not quite, but you'll get there. Marcus's dad put a hand on the boy's shoulder as they headed out of the store. "'When we get home, you can show me, and if it's not true, we'll have this woman's ass on a plate for lying, right, son?' My jaw dropped open. Marcus turned and sneered at me over his shoulder as he walked. Dread filled my innards like wet clay as I headed to the back room to grab a coffee. I intended to sit and work on a case of you for a few meditative, mind-clearing minutes.' As I emerged from the break room, coffee in hand, the front door of the store banged open and a throng of people filed in, carrying placards and chanting, We're very busy! No more interruptions! They turned left, then right, and marched all the way around the store, up and down the aisles. Their placards had interesting slogans, which made it tough to tell what it was they wanted. Free time is free, read one. Down with marshmallows, read another. A daisy a day, and... I like ham. Should I call someone? Like the police? Or a shrink? Brian had disappeared. So had Tony, the other employee working the front. I had no idea where they were, but frankly, I was there to teach today, not operate the front. In spite of my previous conviction, I did something kind of irresponsible. I hastened to the back and into my practice room and pretended I hadn't noticed anything. The protesters could wipe the store clean of merchandise if they wanted to. I didn't freaking care at that point. I couldn't focus on my song, though. I sipped my coffee and stared at the poster of guitar chords on the beige wall. What was happening to my world? I could pinpoint when it had all started, of course. It was pretty much right after I had met Rickenbacker Topiary a week ago. I rubbed my eyes with the heel of my hand. He was a different sort of person without question, but that didn't offer any explanation for the strange things happening. In his restaurant, maybe, though I blamed most of that on Phoenix, but here in the music store... Well, there was nothing so strange as to be otherworldly, but so much of the past few days didn't make sense at all. I considered myself to be a relatively intelligent person, and yet I was baffled. I mean, really, haiku? And the knife that poked its ugly head out like a -a whack-a-mole, no matter how deeply I stuffed it at home. I didn't know where it had come from, but it obviously liked being with me. Nevertheless, the bottom line was the music I was making with Mateo. I couldn't help but smile. I had absolutely no recollection of ever being affected this way by Jason. What had I ever seen in that jerk? In retrospect, Jason had always been an arrogant asshole, and for some reason I hadn't noticed. To be fair, he was pretty good-looking, and even had a decent sense of humor when he felt like it. He was a good guitarist, and... Well, I guess it always felt good to make music with someone. He'd complimented me on my singing and my harmonies, too, at the beginning anyway. But the guy was no matteo not in his guitar playing, not in the way he made me feel. The disparity between the two men was astonishing. I had never imagined anyone like Matteo existed. I don't mean in the sense of his being a brilliant musician. I mean in being a brilliant musician who is... Kind and generous, who gave back as much as he was given, who could be so caring, who could care that way about well, let's face it, about me. I had Calvin, of course, but he was different. My sister was amazing, and I loved her like crazy. My dad was a cool guy, and as I'd gotten older, we'd had some good conversations and some laughs. He appreciated my music, which was nice. Then there was my mother. How had we become so distant, so adversarial? She had been fun once in a while. We played board games as a family on occasion, back when I was younger. She had a good sense of humor sometimes. Now that I thought of it, though, I couldn't remember the last time she had told a good joke or laughed at one. Maybe running the dress shop was more stressful than I bothered to think about. Which only made me feel worse about my band's failure to impress the Snifter family and all the resulting ramifications. I no longer cared about teaching. I had two more lessons to get through today, and then I'd be having lunch with Jillian. That was the light at the end of the Lessons from Hell tunnel. I picked up my guitar and tried A Case of You again. Joni originally played dulcimer on it, so I was worried I wouldn't be able to get it sounding quite right, but I had some success with it, which cheered me up a little. I started to feel excited about playing it for Matteo. I was struck by a memory so powerful and vivid it was as if it had just taken place. Matteo's lips on mine, the sizzle, the softness, the little flick of his tongue, his hand on my hair, his deep blue eyes drowning me. As my next student walked through the door, a silly grin had overtaken my face, and he asked if he was in the right room. I floated through the next two lessons. About 11.45, I pulled open the door of the restaurant and stepped up to the hosting station. For one? she asked. No, there'll be two of us. She grabbed two menus and indicated that I should follow her. We passed several empty tables for two before she seated me way at the back and carried both menus off with her. "'My chair was so close to the men's washroom "'that my short hair got caught in the door "'when it opened and closed. "'The man who had just exited turned and looked at me "'like it was my fault for being in the way. "'Sorry,' I said, as if it were my fault for being in the way. "'I kicked myself for it "'and then tried to get the attention of the server. "'Her eyes passed in my direction twice, "'but she didn't notice me. "'Finally, Jillian rushed in. "'Hey, honey!' "'She gave me a breathless hug. "'Sorry to keep you waiting.' She hung her purse on the back of the chair and began to take off her jacket. Hang on, this is a terrible table. She turned and caught the server's attention instantly. What can I get you? The server pulled out her pad. How about a better table, Gillian suggested politely. My sister is in danger of being swept into the men's washroom. The server's eyes widened as if seeing me for the first time. I smiled tiredly, saving my eye-roll for inside my head. The server tossed me a glare as if I had demanded this table and was now showing a fickle nature. Of course, she said, with a kind smile at Jillian, probably feeling sorry for her having to hang out with the likes of me. She moved us to one of the prime tables we'd passed on my way in. We seated ourselves, and she placed a menu in front of Jillian and walked away. Um, excuse me, I said. She turned around and snapped. Yes. I smiled sweetly at her. May I have a menu, please? She sighed as if I'd asked her to turn our table around six times and light ritual candles. She slapped a menu down in front of me and dashed away before I could ask anything else of her. What was that all about? Jillian asked. You're asking me? We had a good laugh over it. I ordered coffee and cream of mushroom soup, and Gillian ordered herbal tea and a cob salad. The server brought our beverages, and I told Jillian all about the morning I'd had. The yoga, the vomit, the pouty kid, the protesters. Somehow talking about it with her made it all seem less strange. I don't know how protesters in the music store could avoid being strange, but that pretty much summed up my relationship with Jillian. She made everything seem all right. I noticed that although she was laughing, her eyes weren't as sparkly as usual. We drank and laughed about the server not noticing when I raised my hand to ask for a refill. As soon as Jillian gestured in her direction, she approached. Would you like some more hot water for your tea? No, but my sister would like a refill on her coffee, or don't you do that here? The woman looked snarky. Of course we do. She said it with a tone, as my mother would say. Our food arrived and we dug in. Enough about my goofy day, Jill. How about yours? How are rehearsals going? The dance studio's production of Faust was coming up in about eight weeks. A shadow passed over Jillian's face, and she shrugged. Alarm jolted through me like the sizzle of Mateo's kiss. What? Jillian, what's wrong? She smiled and waved her hand. Nothing is wrong, truly. Rehearsals have just started, so there isn't much to report. But seriously, it's same old, same old. I'm more interested in what's up with you. Sorry I missed your gig. I drove around but couldn't find the place on Powell Street. Tell me about this new band of yours. When do I get another chance to hear you? Jillian's eyes sparkled with glee. I love her. Her interest in what I'm doing is always genuine. She's my biggest supporter. Part of me thought I ought to press her a bit more, but she had made it clear that she didn't want to talk about whatever it was that might be affecting her. "'So instead, I told her about the strange meeting with Rickenbacker "'and how when I met Matteo, it was like something had gone click and we'd connected. "'Musically, I mean.' "'Oh, yeah?' she twinkled at me. "'They say it's impossible to refrain from blushing. "'He is awfully gorgeous and so talented. "'I mean, I don't know why he's in this city and playing with the likes of me.' She rolled her eyes at me. I wish you wouldn't say stupid stuff like that, Griffin. You're fantastic, and it's about time somebody else noticed it. Yeah, well, he's just (sighs) amazing, sounds lame, but it's true. And man, I have never met anyone like him. He has every right to be an arrogant bastard, but he's just not. And he's such a gentleman. I think if he asked me to marry him this moment, I'd say yes. I was exaggerating, of course, but this was and I could be over the top with her, and she'd get it. And are there others in the band, or is it just the two of you? It was a perfectly normal question, of course, but for some reason my mind went blank. I chuckled, perplexed. You know, there are a couple or three other guys in the band. I mean, keyboard, drums, and bass, of course, but... I thought hard, but wound up shaking my head and feeling embarrassed. "'Geez, I can't remember. Carlos? Sergey, Maybe Tim?' I bit a lip and thought, "'I think one of them has dark hair.' Jillian snorted. "'Wow, <laughs> this Mateo guy must have quite a hold on you if you don't have eyes for anyone else.' My face flamed like the creme brulee torch thingy. "'He is out of this world.' Wow, that's so cool. I'm excited for you. Jillian rested her chin on her hand and grinned at me. What are you playing next? I shrugged. We sort of have this gig next week. She sat up straight. Next week? That's madness. How do you learn enough material to play a gig in under two weeks of knowing each other? She's a dancer, not a musician, but she gets it. I shrugged again. The band is really good, Jill. I mean yeah, the set list is a lot of songs I've been playing for years and other ones I know pretty well. Still, it's different. These guys are so tight. We don't struggle over transitions and endings. We really connect. There's a level of communication while we're playing that I've never had with the other band. It's like Matteo and I can look at each other and each of us can read what the other wants to do. It's cool. And it isn't like that with Calvin? I didn't want to automatically say no, so I thought about it for a moment. I shook my head slowly. It's different somehow. Calvin and Andy and Cameron are all solid musicians, and they're great guys. Jason is chucked out, of course, but even if we had a new lead player, we'd have to work harder to get to this point, you know? We'd still get pretty close, but it would take a lot more time and effort. Honestly, I'm not sure we would get to the same level. Yet with Mateo, we're there already. It's unbelievable. Playing with them is like magic. Wow, awesome. So can I come? Of course, I'd love it. I gave her the date and the address. I should also tell you about Calvin's dad. Oh no, what's happened? I filled her in briefly. We'd known the family for years, of course, so the news was hard for her to hear. He's so young, too. Poor Mrs. Sheely. We talked some more about it, and then I said, Now it's your turn. Tell me about this new ballet of yours. She filled me in with as much, if not more, enthusiasm than I'd used to tell her about the band. Her eyes clouded over just briefly when the poor, wretched bride's name came up. Taryn's a spoiled brat, but I'm not letting her give me grief. This is what I love to do, and if she can't share the stage, it tells us all something about her, right? Hell yeah. What happened at her wedding had absolutely nothing to do with you, so you don't deserve to be given any grief about it. If she does, I'll be royally pissed off. Jillian put her hand over mine. She's capable of anything, but not to worry, I've got this. As if to emphasize her point, Jillian picked up the bill too. She paid it, and we went outside to the parking lot. "'See you tomorrow at dinner,' I said. "'Yes, and hey, don't let Mum get you down.' "'Nah,' I scrubbed my hair with my hand. "'I don't get why she has to be so mean about things, "'but I'm trying to not let her get to me.' "'Jillian grinned at me. "'Easier said than done, I know, "'but none of what she's complaining about is your fault. "'She'll be over it soon enough.' I chuckled. I bet she knows it, and that's why she's getting as much mileage out of it as she can before it blows over. I'm probably keeping it going so it doesn't blow over until she's done with it, Jillian laughed. Like the time with the ice cream, I reminded her. She just about lost it, laughing. (laughs) Stop it! Oh my god, that was hilarious! And there followed an uproar of hysterical laughter as we recalled the time my dad had given us two little girls the last of mom's maple walnut ice cream. People walking by looked at us like we were crazy, but there was no point explaining it. Nobody could possibly appreciate an inside story as much as two sisters. Finally, we wiped our mirthful tears off our cheeks, and I gave her a big hug. Thanks, I said. That was the best lunch date ever. Yeah... She looked kind of sad for some reason. I love you, Griffin. Me too, Jill. Take care now, she warned me as I walked away. Don't fall too hard. I waved. Yeah, gravity's a bitch. On my way home, I couldn't help but smile. I appreciate all I have. Interlude. Still May 12th. Evening. This will not do, this will not do at all. Rickenbacker scolded no one in particular while rocking back and forth on his heels next to the desk in his office. The mood-check screen went dark, but he didn't fold it away yet. Phoenix sat in the armchair, his cheeks and hair drooping dejectedly, and shook his head in disbelief. Rickenbacker reached absently for an onion ring and dipped it in peanut butter anchovy garlic sauce. He didn't like peanut butter anchovy garlic sauce, which was why he chose it. He believed it was a suitable punishment for his lack of attention to Griffin's too pleasant day. A mild form of self-flagellation, to be sure, but he approved it, and since his approval was the only approval he needed, he carried out this necessary action. Blech, he said. "'Once he'd swallowed the entire onion ring, he added, "'There, that's done,' and chose another using a nicer flavor. "'How can this have happened?' Phoenix said. "'We've more or less allowed all our efforts to be undone.' "'On the viewscreen they watched again the six-second looping playback "'of Griffin's view of her sister's laughter. "'Griffin's laughter could also be heard, and the view jiggled as she laughed.' I agree that this day came to a positive conclusion which is unacceptable. Laughter, so I have heard, is an effective remedy for the very type of stress with which we have been burdening our other world participant. I fear she will approach tomorrow with a new outlook. Phoenix banged the arms of the chair. See, I told you she was having too much fun. Rickenbacker would not stand for that. No, Phoenix, I stand by what I said before. The snippets we are seeing of her enjoyment of the band are crucial. Watch this. He poked his finger in the air a few times, opening up the screen, showing the list of snippets. He chose one and flicked play. The viewscreen dutifully played a snippet from the band's rehearsal. It was from the MGC's point of view this time, so it showed Griffin smiling like the sun as they worked through a tricky bit of music. A different snippet showed her working on one of her desserts in the kitchen. In this instance, her whole manner wound up like a coiled spring. Like I said, if she experienced nothing but stress, she would walk away from salamanders altogether. Don't you see? Is that what you want? No, but... "'Then trust me on this.' "'I've trusted you all along,' Phoenix muttered. "'Rickenbacker held his arms out. "'Come now, come now, my friend. "'Where exactly is the flaw in my reasoning?' "'Phoenix pouted and opened his mouth to reply, "'but Rickenbacker overrode him. "'I concede our neglect of her today. "'Clearly the incidents in the music store were not enough, "'and the unexpected mirthful exchange "'with the other young woman was... "'unexpected.' He paused to catch on to a thought that had just sparked in his mind. "'But it is a mere minor drawback. You cannot have thought our plan would develop so smoothly there would not be a single setback. Why are you putting this on me?' Rickenbacker ignored him. "'Certainly not. He stalked about the confined space as though it were a vast hall. You see, everything is fine.' The breakable items on his desk were wary and did not allow themselves to be knocked aside by the man's enthusiastically flailing arms. Phoenix ducked. We simply have to step things up. I will turn up the prankster a couple of notches. A few more unusual circumstances will twiddle with her frame of mind. Tomorrow is a new day, my friend. But what about the knife? She can't use it if she's not even at the restaurant. It was madcap to give her those days off. He dropped his face into the crook of his elbow in despair. You worry too much. Rickenbacker scratched the bottom of his chin with the back of his hand. Can I go now? Rickenbacker pointed at him dramatically. What's the plan for tomorrow? Don't you worry so much, Phoenix Rising said, rising. I'll come up with something. Hand on the doorknob, he turned back and added, I want that title. As the door closed behind his friend, Rickenbacker said, "'Good, good.'" He wished the tournament rules allowed for more constant mood checks. He had a small concern that there might be more moments like the laughter one, that their OWP was deceiving them in some way. But he was not willing to jeopardize their chances by cheating. He scowled and crunched another onion ring, plain this time, which was delightful, for they were delicately spiced. Goodness for Jillian. that lunch date will probably go a long way to helping Gryphon keep her sanity. Ah, but that's exactly what Rickenbacker and Phoenix want to avoid. Tune in next week when Gryphon says, Puff the Magic Dragon. If you liked this chapter, drop me a toonie on coffee. Just search Krista Wallace is a writer. Thank you so much to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks to Phil Dirksen for the guitar solo. Thanks so much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.